Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. How are you renewing the culture in your classroom? Like today, we get to talk to Danetta Norris, a second grade teacher in Texas, who shares how she is navigating this year with her second graders. After hearing Danetta share her story and the strategy she uses, you will get some ideas for how to create a safe and successful culture with your students. Danetta and I talked about the importance of identity and safe spaces when creating and renewing the culture of your class. Danetta and I also talked about how she works to have an inclusive classroom where students see themselves in the curriculum that they're studying. I so enjoyed this conversation with Tanetta, and I know that you will too. Welcome to Design Lessons, Tanetta. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. Um, So I wonder if you could introduce yourself. Tell us where you're teaching and and what's going on for you and your students. I'm Donetta Norris. I am a second grade teacher in Arlington, Texas. Right now, we are in a situation, of course, with COVID and in a hybrid situation. So um, for us, that looks like um, the uh, technology, everything is basically based on technology, but um, we do have two hours of live teaching via Teams. Um, I have t- uh, two different groups, but they basically are receiving the exact same instruction. So the students in person are receiving the same instruction as the um, students at home. Um, and then all of their work basically is being um, done within the, the learning management system that we are using for um, our school. So it's almost as if your students are, are kind of, it's not that they're learning asynchronously, mm-hmm. but even those students who are physically with you are also sort of learning in an online platform, but they're physically with you. What are some of the benefits that you're seeing for your students that are physically with you? The great thing about the ones that are in person is that I can still check on them, even in a socially distanced manner. Um, I can have them come to my table and have conversations with me because we do have the, you know, the COVID precautions in place. Um, So I'm able to give them the support that I would be able to give them if we were in a non-COVID situation. It just looks different. So how do you run your small groups? So I know that you do some things right in person. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you run your small groups knowing that you have some kids at home and some kids right there in front of you? Technology can be a wonderful thing. I do have a document camera. Um, and then with the, uh, the Teams platform that we use for our live instruction, um, once I'm done with my uh, whole group lesson, I will invite the ones who are in my particular small group to stick around. 
And anything that I need to show them, I can share my screen. I can show them what, what we're doing or what we're reading. So like um, for reading, I'll just put the book under the camera and have a few students, you know, read it, read a few sentences. Let's talk about it. So um, it's still, it's a non-traditional small group, but I'm still able to meet with the small groups. Um, it's like, again, it just looks different for the ones in the classroom. Sometimes I even pull them to my table, like on a one on one on one, simply because I have them there and I can give them, you know, that um, extra support. So how are you thinking, or I guess you can't really see them through their minds, but I'm curious also about your students that are that are at home, that are mm-hmm. learning virtually. Um, I imagine for some students, it's, it's actually working out really well. And for some students, maybe it's more of a struggle. What have you found with your students? Um, for some of them who need the extra support, if their parents are in a situation where they're just not quite able to give them that support, for whatever reason, I've noticed that those are the ones that kind of struggle a little bit. Um, and I do my best to reach out to parents. I do my best to reach out to the, even to just to the, the scholars themselves and, and let them know that, hey, you know, take care of this or you're missing this or let me know if you need some support. Um, but like you said, there are a few of them that are actually thriving at home. And um, it's not really, uh, I can't see that necessarily that they need my help. Again, I don't necessarily know how much parental support they're actually getting either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's sort of a bit of a puzzle there. It's almost like hard to know how much um, work is coming even from that student. Exactly. Um, and being able to kind of see that progression from that student firsthand. Exactly. So I, I, you know, when I think about this year and it's a time when I think all of us are growing um, and it's, it's, you know, when we're we're all sort of doing something new. um, And so when we do something new, I feel like it stretches you. Mm -hmm. What would you say is something that you've learned as a result of teaching in essence, in the middle of a pandemic in a very different way than maybe you've been teaching previously? I would say um, in the past, we did, we used a lot of anchor charts because we could, you know, we could create those anchor charts and we could put them up on the wall for the kids to use. Um, My anchor chart looks a little bit different. It's basically a notebook. You know, in the, in the past, I did not keep a notebook, but for this particular situation, that is the best way for me to be able to have a collection of what I've taught. Um, I can go back and look and see, okay, we taught this or we learned this on this day. You turn back in your notebook mm-hmm. and, you know, find it and we can review um, review that. And so, um, and then with Teams, I am able to take a um, picture and I can upload pictures of my notebook so that if that scholar at home doesn't have a notebook or was not able to quite keep up, what I wrote is at least accessible to them so that they can use them. It's kind of like a, I guess, a digital anchor chart. Oh, I love that. So is that something you think you might do more of next year? Yes, honestly, I think, I think I will figure out a way. I'm not sure if we'll continue to use teams, but I'm thinking um, if, thinking about a way that I can make sure that even if the, like, especially when uh, if scholars miss a day of school, let's say we're back in person, mm-hmm. how can I give them, um, I guess, the notes that I have so that at least they have it for that day and then they can continue on for the days that they mm-hmm. um, are there. When you think about teaching and you think about like, if you have a new teacher 
Um, and that new teacher really came to you and asked for you for advice, sort of about the one thing that you think is important for kids. And this is whether, you know, in COVID times or not in COVID times, what would that advice be for that teacher? What's, what's important for her to know? I am, I strongly believe in building relationships with kids. Um, I really think that as a teacher, we have to realize that our kids are people and that they're not just like little people, but they're people. You know I mean? I shouldn't say little, they're not little adults. They're, they're people. They have feelings. Um, they have emotions. They have things going on at home that we have absolutely no idea about. And when they come into the classroom, they're bringing all of that into the classroom. So I really just think it's important for teachers to find their way to build culture, to build relationships, to determine what is going to be, um, I guess kind of even just going back to the culture, what is the culture going to be so that even the kids know, okay, I can expect this in these different situations, whether it comes to um, problem solving, discipline, so to speak, um, how do we treat each other? Um, those kinds of things are very important, I think, for a teacher, new or veteran, to like, you know, have in place so that their students are, I, I believe this is all about having a safe learning environment. That's part of having a safe learning environment. How do you do that for your students? How do you feel that you help them build relationships with each other? And how do you build your relationship with them? Um, in the beginning of the year, and we try to I try my best to kind of uh, go back to it every so often. We create our social contract or our, um, oh, this year was called something new, but I'm so used to it being our um, our social contract um, where we, we talk about what is going to be the, basically the culture. How will I, how, what do you expect from me from the teacher in terms mm-hmm. of treating you a certain way? What do you expect? Um, in terms of how you, the student to student will treat each other. Um, And then how will, what do I expect as far as how you will treat me? Um, And so we, we laid that out at the very beginning of the school year. And that's kind of our contract to say, okay, this is how our classroom is going to run. And if we have a problem, we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss it. Let's see where we went kind of astray. How do we get kind of back on, um, on track. One other thing that we, I, I did last year was, um, circle up time. It's kind of through, it's kind of like a restorative, um, practice, um, like restorative justice, but with second graders, I just kind of made it so that they had the opportunity to share anything they were feeling, um, anything that they, um, felt need to be needed to be discussed in the classroom in a in a way that we're not judging anybody, we're not laughing at anybody, we're we're validating feelings, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we figured found out that one or two people they weren't the only ones. Like we all kind of felt the same way and realized, okay, this is something we kind of needed to to discuss. And every day my scholars share good news, and it's just a way for us to I'm gonna start the day off on a good note as well. Mm-hmm. So are those two times sort of, I'm, I'm like picturing it in my mind, there's circle time or circle up time mm-hmm. where are we specifically talking about problems then, or there are two separate times where we always have good news time and then we have let's troubleshoot our day, reflect on it, how'd it go time. Sometimes it can be, most of the time good news is, in and of itself is all the time, whether we circle up or not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes good news and circle up time could end up being done at the same time. It just depends on when we have a chance to do it. So first thing in the morning, if we circle up and we're gonna, we just want to share our good news and everything's okay. And then sometimes it's okay. We're going to do going to do our good news, but oh, we need to talk about something. So mm-hmm. it can look different just depending on, I guess, um, what it is that we want to share and how we want to do it and, and, and how much time we have. Yeah. <laughs> So do you find that you have a way of doing that now that you're doing, you know, half online, you're doing this hybrid situation? Do you find that you still do that practice? Not as much in the hybrid situation. Um, The good news is um, a non-negotiable. We always do our good news every single day, along with a joke that I um, tell two times a day during our live instruction time, just to kind of, again, kind of just be silly and get them to you know, loosen up a little bit, but, um, the circle up time was something that was a lot easier to do when we didn't have to social distance. Um, so I think more this year it's sticking to our social contract and just making sure that, um, almost as anything arises, which it rarely does that we just address that, um, as a class with the scholars that are in person, as opposed to being able to circle up to necessarily talk about it, but they still get to share their feelings. They still get, we still validate one another in that situation because, you know, that's, that's what it's about, you know, making sure that we don't, um, uh, damage the race relationship, whether it's between me and them or, you know, scholar to scholar. Scholar to scholar. Now I noticed that you call your students scholars and I know that you feel strongly about identities. Can you tell us more about that? Um, I follow, she's not a teacher anymore. I think she's in a coaching position, a teacher out of Baltimore and she's in, it was either a teacher in middle school or high school, but, um, she always called her students scholars. And I just found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, identity matters. You know, what we, what we call our students, I think, and how we treat our students is definitely, um, definitely related. And so it was something that I just started last year. I've been teaching 11 years and I I started last year when I, when I was um, introduced to this particular teacher out of Baltimore. And Mm-hmm. I think I know who you're talking about. I've I've seen yes. Yeah. I just can't remember the name right now. Yeah, I will her name right in a minute, but, <laughs> but yeah, and so I was just I thought, you know what? I don't know how many of elementary teachers normally call their students scholars. I don't know how many um, elementary teachers teach scholar as a vocabulary word. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a matter of really thinking about who is in my classroom. And again, part of that culture, what do I want them to know that I believe about them? Mm-hmm. And I believe they are scholars. I believe they can do great things. I believe they can change the world. And so I've always, well, I should say always, but since last year, I've been calling that group. And then this group I had this year, been calling them scholars. And, you know, I make sure they understand what that means to me and the expectation so that they can behave and produce work in that way, even mm-hmm. if they don't quite understand what the whole actual definition means. I mean, it may be a little bit much, but you know, so we just, that, um, that's just something I've, I've, I thought was important for them just the same as we would call them writers or readers when it's time to read or, or, you know, mathematicians or scientists, depending on what subject area we're Mm -hmm. teaching. I love that scholars. I mean, I feel like that I'm a big believer in identity and, and, and 
acting the way that you want to be, right? If you have aspirations for yourself, go ahead and start walking that walk right now. Exactly. And so by providing students with an identity that you have an expectation for them and having them to kind of own it over time, I think is an excellent way of sort of fostering that joy in learning and that joy in sort of having a vision for what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. That is wonderful. Now, I know you and I talked a bit about, um, you know, things that have been going on in the world Mm -hmm. and and what is our responsibility um, in terms of making our students aware you have second graders. So Mm -hmm. how do you, when you think about um, all of the movement that went on this summer in terms of Black Lives Matter um, and anti-racist teaching and... um, and just how, like, how do you approach that with your second graders? We don't discuss it in as much as a conversation, but one of the things that um, I feel is important is related to identity as well is the scholars being able to see themselves as well as other people um, in what they read, you know, the literature that they're exposed to, um, so one of the things that I, I try my best to do is I try to read aloud as much as possible. I'd love to be able to do it every day, but it doesn't always um, happen. But when I do, I'm, I make sure that I am reading books that are either written by people of color, um, people who they can relate to people who they can say, Oh, that's somebody from my culture or, you know, who looks like me. Um, but also other people who maybe they don't, um, interact with on a regular basis because, um, they don't live in the same neighborhoods or they, they haven't ever had a chance to get out of their own neighborhoods. Um, so that's one of the ways that I just really think it's important to just expose them to, to understand that, the, the world is so much bigger than where we are, and it's important to understand that our differences matter, but they don't have to mean that we don't get along. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to mean that we um, treat each other poorly simply because we have differences. Oh, I love that. It's, it's like everyone has a different lived experience, um, and not all of that is necessarily defined by your race. Right. Um, and so you can look at what are all the different lived experiences? And so by using different books with your students, you know, people talk about windows and mirrors, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing people that look like yourself and then also seeing people who don't. So you have a window into um, their world and sort of having a balance of, of, of books, media, um, that representation matters, being able to see yourself, um, I think is important for kids. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Design Lessons. It has been a joy to have a bit of a window into your classroom and how you are really creating great relationships for your students so that they, in essence, become the scholars that you envision them to be. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It has truly been a pleasure. So how are you renewing the culture in your classroom? What resonated with you most about this conversation with Danetta? For me, it was when she said that our differences matter, but it doesn't mean that we treat each other poorly because of those differences. In the next episode, we're going to really investigate how design thinking can be used to level up our lives and our unit planning. 
And before I go, I want to encourage you to register for Uncover the Leader in You. Now repeat after me. I am a teacher. I am a creator. I am a thought leader. And I will be attending Uncover the Leader in Me. We're going to investigate what it means to be a creator, a a thought leader, and by the end of the week, you'll have a concrete action plan for energizing your teaching life with curiosity and joy. You'll be very clear about your mission, your story, and your area of expertise and how you're going to use your genius to change the status quo for the better. Until next time, designers. This is a More Creative Learning production hosted by Michelle Schmidt-Moore and edited by Christian Schmidt. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.